Welcome to the Everesting Podcast, Built by Quarry. In this episode, we meet Jason Vanslot from South Africa, who is the first Everester with cystic fibrosis. Uh, Jason has an absolutely incredible story. This is super inspirational, and he is doing all so to uh, fundraise an effort to um, for people with CF to act, have better access to a new and without exaggeration, life-changing drug. So this is a, both educational, eye-opening, and inspirational. All of those things. Jason is awesome, and I really appreciate him being able to spend some time with us on the podcast and bring his story to you guys. This episode of the podcast is brought to you by the State Bicycle Company. You can check them out at statebicycle.com. They have all kinds of cool bikes, but they also have parts and apparel. And um, they're constantly updating their lineup, both seasonally and when they have limited edition runs and stuff. So give them a follow on Instagram or Facebook. That's how you can stay up with what State is doing or just check them out at statebicycle.com. On to this episode of the podcast and we'll see you again next week. you for joining me honor to have you on and uh how did you first of all when were you diagnosed with cystic fibrosis and when did you take up cycling and and like how far apart was that or were you cycling as a kid and then when did it become a real passion in the sport for you i was actually diagnosed quite young at about uh, eight months and i was playing every sport under the sun um and yeah played football or soccer predominantly and then in um in 2010 I got a, a soccer injury and that year my dad was busy training to do the Cape Epic which is a multi-day mountain biking event here in South Africa and yeah. um, I started riding with him a bit and um, yeah I just kind of got hooked and part of the rehab was to ride because it was an ankle injury and it wouldn't interfere too much with uh, the ligaments that were um, damaged and then I kind of got hooked and um, also what uh, in terms of just with CF it was a pretty a good um, match because the just the mountain biking in general the vibrations really help to get the mucus a lot thinner and almost it's form of physio to get the mucus out that's sitting in my lungs because of the cystic fibrosis really yes and then also the um, the posture of being on the bike is leaning over and it's almost like postural drainage. So we discovered this when my grandfather, he had emphysema. And when he was trying to breathe towards the end of his life, he would tend to lean over on the couch and just bend over and try to get some air in. And it's that same sort of feeling. Um, but yeah, I mean, in terms of doing the, the crazy kind of things I do on a bike, it wouldn't necessarily, people always say, be careful or don't push yourself too hard because uh, I tend to, when I get fixated on something, you tend to just go ahead and um, do it. <laughs> Whether you, someone, uh, yeah, I mean, people say, oh, you shouldn't do it. It's kind of like a motivation to go do it, you know. Um, yeah, and I've always been incredibly excited by the idea of the human spirit and pushing your limits i mean even though i was growing up with this this lung condition which was supposed to be quite limiting uh, which is is actually very limiting i was always had that kind of attitude of uh when i'm playing sport it's putting my body on the line it's i'm in war you know it's um we're going to come out to the end no matter what 
That's that's awesome. I didn't realize that there was actually like a physical benefit to it, and and it, it sounds like you sort of stumbled upon it and, and found it sort of. Yeah. Okay, so then from there, when did Everesting creep onto your radar? I'm always interested to hear people's thoughts around that because it, from when it started to when it became sort of part of the popular culture of cycling, there's quite a curve to that, and I'm wondering where you caught it. So uh, after the Cape Epic, I that was in 2015, I heard about Everesting. And I remember in uh, Varsity, um, so that was about two, three years afterwards, I heard about it. And then I was actually going my last year of Varsity looking for heels to do. And the idea is to just be, to the, be the first person with the condition to think about doing it. And then um, during lockdown, it became a bit of a, thing you know and everybody jumped on this bandwagon i'm like hey i've been planning this for like the last three years trying to find this perfect hill and then uh, someone else with the condition did it and they only did it when they had access to this this life-saving drug so they attempted and they got about six thousand meters plus and they said it was physically impossible uh, they it was beyond their capacity it was just beyond them and then he got access to this drug called Trikafta or Caftrio, depending where you are in the world. And he was on, a, on this for a trial basis. Within two months of being on this drug, he could then, he went out and everything and finished it, no problem. And uh, it's it's literally changed his life within a couple, couple hours. He no longer had a chronic cough and he felt like a, I chatted to him and he actually gave me a lot of advice about everything with the condition. And he said, it felt like he had become Superman and he had these superpowers. And it was actually for him, it was breathing normally for the first time, which is pretty incredible to think about. It is. Yeah. I, I hope that everybody who listens to this takes that away that we take for granted what we get to feel like every day you know that's probably the first time he got to feel like most cyclists feel like every day yeah. right so amazing okay so when you started to focus in on a hill uh how did that process go and why did you choose the hill so the idea originally was just to find a nice picturesque hill that i enjoyed doing and we were actually looking at um some gravel hills and just because they were long, I'm like, okay, well, it's easier mentally to do less reps. And then after he did it, I was actually like, no, I can't. I must look at being a little bit more scientific about this. And then we chose the Toll Monument, which is in Paul in Cape Town, South Africa. And I chose that particular one, firstly, because it's about uh, 10%. And it's a very short hill. Um, so there'll be many repetitions. And what some of the complications with cystic fibrosis is, cystic fibrosis is that I developed uh, diabetes. So it would be very important to be close to my, um, my like support crew if something were to go wrong to get food. Like I can't be having a sugar low and then, you know, like having, a, you know, hitting the wall, you can die. So that, having that and having an hour climb before I get to my, you know, it's, it's wouldn't be the wisest thing to do. So we chose a hill that's uh, 1.5 kilometers. Um, I don't know the stats for the, the US guys listening, but um, so it was about a 12 minute climb roughly, and then about a descent of one minute 30. Okay. And 
and then also the wind direction we took that into consideration so it was going to be in we did a recon in april and to get some ideas and that's when i'll do in summer all my my recons and get fit during summer when you know there's good conditions and um, coming to this the actual attempt we the wind was changing there was a bit of like like a normal everest there was a weather window because we're going into winter and it was almost like we were going to do it and then we, i checked the weather and it changed uh, and we were going to get a northwest and we needed a southeaster to push you up the hill and we had to change the entire event like two weeks earlier and it was the day before my dad's birthday so it was pretty much like dad i want to do this like are you, will you be happy to support me um, yeah, so we, had, we did this whole Everesting thing in like two, three days. So we were running around like headless chickens <laughs> to, to get it all organized. And uh, I literally, I don't want to go off for the, the diabetic challenge either. Like that's, so first of all, I mean, what a cruel irony that you become diabetic when you are doing all the things in your lifestyle to prevent a normal person from getting diabetes in the first place. So that's terrible. <laughs> that's that that is not lost on me and i'm sure it's not lost on listeners either like that's that's an awful irony but um like the nutrition challenge of everesting is is a big thing for anybody without diabetes to consider so you've got lung condition huge challenge there and then you've got to i'm assuming you have to sort of relearn how to eat i mean we train ourselves to eat a certain way we have our go-to foods as endurance athletes and you can become pretty locked in with your nutrition most of the time. And then you've got to completely undo that, right? Yes. So we actually were going to do an Everesting last year. Um, and then there was a whole bunch of health complications and diabetes was part of that. So I literally relearned everything because just in terms of how many carbs one normally needs, like you train your gut and all of that, it's about 50 to, to 90, depending if you're Matthew Van Der Poel, whoever you are. Um, I, so I was, that was my normal strategy for, for eating. And it turns out once you become diabetic, you only need around 20 grams per hour. So I was totally overeating and I was being sugar highs for like hours, not eating and suddenly you crash. And then um, also part of the condition of cystic fibrosis is that you excrete a lot more salt than everybody else. Right. So your, that, that's the fundamental um cause of the condition so actually the drug corrects that salt chloride channel but anyway to get an understanding of um, how much sodium i actually had to have so i went to a dietitian we worked this all out i did a sweat test at a lab to work out how much salt i excreted so a normal person they recommend a daily allowance for sodium is one teaspoon in my 16 hours i had to have 15 teaspoons of sodium which is Wow. insane and so that would be in my bottles and then i would use um yeah bars the particular brand that i, I looked for um in Durin is because purely the fact that they have a very high sodium content and um so i would you know use that and then also because you get hungry and even though you can't have so many carbs you're burning all this whatever like over seven thousand calories during the day you need to eat so I used eggs and biltong to just some sort of protein that wouldn't affect my sugar levels at all. And the first, so when we started, um, it was at uh, two o'clock in the morning. So we had a, a grand total of three hours sleep, which is a 
always fun for an average thing. Okay. And um, the first four and a half hours, my sugar levels were not extremely high, but too high for me to eat. So I didn't eat anything, no carbs other than having eggs. And I got to a point where I'm like, I'm not going to finish this thing. Like I literally haven't had a single carb for the last four and a half hours. And I did a bit of a no-no. It was either this everything is not going to happen because I'm not eating or it's going to blow up because I had to give myself insulin while riding. And that obviously can usually, I don't usually do it, have insulin when I ride. Uh, and they'll drop you into a low and then everything can blow up. And I thought rather do that and deal with getting just carbs and sugar into me and I'll deal with the low then blow up because I haven't eaten. Right. Also, the, there's a, a bit of a complication here is that when normally my sugar levels are too high, I just ride harder. And this is the first four, four hours. And you're not going to then suddenly go, you know, racing up the hill. You've got the whole day ahead of you. So there was a lot of um, things going. Yeah, I mean, people always say to me, like, oh, can I give you something to eat? You want this? I'm like, no, I literally need to know exactly how many carbs I'm putting in at every single moment when it comes to riding. Yeah. So it's so calculated. Um, and we actually projected a time that we would do. And I had to stop for like, I think it was five to 10 minutes just to get my sugar levels to, to go up again. And that if we didn't have that stop, we would have been almost on the minute of our projected time, which is really? incredible. It was so, so well calculated. I mean, this is, this has been in the, in yeah, about five years we've been planning to do this. And um, yeah, the last two years is kind of like getting there more, much more scientifically and, dietitians and all of that kind of thing yeah i've seen people um sort of gut them out um and and get it done but you can see that in their pacing they're all over the place right like when they have a really long break where they're probably talking themselves out of it and back into it <laughs> all, of, all of those yes. highs and lows that we go through and then you can see people who've done just a really steady effort through the whole thing and i think the only difference between those two efforts is usually planning that's yeah. you yeah, and if you can be really predictable about your finish time, that's probably what you've done. But now, just from a, again, from a nutrition standpoint, did I'm interested to know if you were you craving carbs? Because in my like, or, or did you crave what your body actually needed? Did, did your your intellectual knowledge of what you needed did it match what your body was telling you, or were they way off? It was like that. Um, I mean, in the beginning, it was weird because. I was, I'm so used to it being the other way around. In the beginning, usually I have to eat a lot more or I just ride harder and then eventually within an hour or two, it stabilizes, but this is four hours. And towards the end, it was, once you, you start exercising, your body starts, your glycogen stores start opening up and you can use a lot more. And then the gels and the bars were flowing and all of that and norm, yeah, went about what I usually eat. And towards the end, the first no, the last thousand meters, uh, so about three thousand meters, I got sick of eating, and then you're pretty much just stuffing your your face, just like okay, I have to eat this, and you know what it's like. It's you just it's you're feeling nauseous, and you just okay, I have to somehow stomach this. And then we switched up to the biltong. Uh, biltong uh, is basically um, dried meat, um, yeah, dried meat with a bit of fat on there, so you get your your um, 
yeah, getting some energy energy stores from fat as well. And that was just a different taste because it's it's quite salty as well. It's dried with salt. So, um, but afterwards, I, I mean, I don't drink normally, but then also because everything was going on in, in my stomach and it wasn't super happy, we had champagne, I had a sip or two, and it just wasn't a good idea because everything came up afterwards. Uh, with my, with really upset, you know, <laughs> probably not the best idea, but yeah, when you celebrate and you kind of tend to just go with it. Fair enough. So, okay, now tell tell us about the cause. So, from when you first heard of Everesting to when you did it, uh, like, did you even? There was no knowledge of this drug from from then. So, like, you found out you found out about this in between finding out about Everesting and doing the Everesting, right? So, tell tell us a little bit about the drug and um, like, and why is it so hard to access in South Africa? And and, and is, is it is it equally as difficult to access in other in some, any other parts of the world? So I'll first just a brief explanation of what cystic fibrosis is. Yeah, please. It's, so basically, your body has a excess um, secretion of mucus throughout your entire body, all your organs, and what happens there? You you can imagine filling your lungs with syrup. And then you drain that syrup out, and there's this thick residue of uh, mucus that becomes a, a breeding ground for bacteria. It causes uh, scarring of the lungs, all these lung infections that well, it's very difficult to get rid of. And it affects all your organs now. It's become my pancreas as well, and causing me to be diabetic. And slowly but surely, all your organs end up failing. And so what this drug does, I touched on it earlier, is it corrects that sodium chloride channel. And that regulates how much mucus your body produces. So if you correct that little um, sodium chloride channel, everything else as a snowball effect improves. Your quality of life improves. You can get less, uh, you, you start like you're breathing through a straw anymore. You don't have this lining of mucus causing digestive issues and all of the, the things that it causes. And so this drug when, it, when you get this drug, it's called the purge. And basically, the mucus that's been sitting there dormant for however many decades you've been alive just starts flowing out. It turns to like water. And it's, it's described as being the worst weekend of your life and the best weekend of your life. Because it's just, you're just getting all this green stuff out. Um, not pretty to your picture, but the next day your, your cough is gone and people say within hours, literally hours, they can feel that it's working. And there's people whose uh, lung function um, was about 14%. They basically are on the transplant list. They're living on oxygen. Within one month later, their lung function jumps up to 74%. So that's from being completely dependent to do on other people to do daily activities to being able to actually live a, a reasonable life, you know. And um, so what happens is this drug is um, it's made in America. There's a pharmaceutical company there, but they've kind of their target market is more the more affluent countries worldwide so predominantly the us and some select european countries and i think that did recently go to australia or new zealand um i think it's new zealand if i'm not mistaken 
And how New Zealand got it is they got these negotiations going where they got a discount. And um, from there, the state or the medical insurance companies were able to fund it to give it to people. So because the current access is only about 12% worldwide to this drug, and it's literally, it's, it's like having a cure for cancer, but it's just exorbitantly expensive. And so South Africa being not a very rich country, they are wanting to pull a whole bunch of countries in a similar position financially and then lobby together as a collective group, ask for a large discount because they, the pharmaceutical companies are um, looking at their ten, the 10 years of R&D to create this drug. But well, personally, I think they should do the same aspect what they did here with the antiretrovirals for HIV and AIDS is you recoup your costs over the long term because you're living longer and you have to take this medication every day. And it's just, and it's got to the point where the patent rights have been bought up in South Africa with no incentive to distribute. So it's now it's trying to get these negotiations going where either we can get it from them or get it from other suppliers, but just to actually get it into the country. And if, I mean, for example, I've got a friend who's, well, actually quite a few friends who've um, in the last two, three months, they've, they've passed away and they, they're my age. I'm 27. And um, if they had this drug, they literally would be here. And just to think of that, the fact that it's purely because of your location and the, the country's wealth that you can't get this drug. It's, uh, yeah. Wow, that is uh, crazy. And like most things are geopolitically impacted, right? <clears throat> yes, yeah. Uh, and to say that this is life-changing is obviously a huge understatement. Yeah, no, for sure. I mean, this is... It's, yeah, and how quickly, the fact that it just works so quickly is just beyond me. It's like, it's, it's like you're taking a red pill or a blue pill, like, and it's like, it's like that kind of thing. You've got these superpowers, which is, it's, it's, it's insane to think about the, the capacity it's, of what you can do. It's also so frustrating to know that um, for everybody with CF or people with friends or family with CF, that have anybody who's ever been impacted by this to to know that there's these unfortunately there's like two finish lines there's actually developing this drug and that feels like it should be the finish line but there's another one beyond that one and that's exactly. that's pretty tough and that's essentially what you're trying to overcome is that second finish line right so how can okay. people how can people support this cause and where can they learn more so we've, um, the South African Cystic Fibrosis Association, SACFA, they have got a, a given gain page. So a given gain, everything for cystic fibrosis. So all the funds that are going to that will be directly going towards the negotiation process to get it into South Africa. And the more countries that are able to do this, the more people in the world, and we can boost that number from 12% of the CF population having this drug to hopefully a lot more. Yeah, 12%. Oof. That's obviously not enough. Okay, 
Jason, thank you so much for doing this. I really, really appreciate you carving out the time to tell us about it. We will make sure that we link that up in the show notes when we publish it. We'll, we'll get this one up uh, probably in the next day or two. And um, yeah, thank you. Thank you and good luck. And I hope that uh, this reaches a lot of people who can who can support the cause. Uh, thank you very much, Peter. I, I enjoy it. And yeah, I enjoyed being on you. And yeah, thank you for, for being open to sharing our story and um, yeah, getting the word out there. It is my pleasure. Thank you again. One last huge thank you to Jason for coming on and sharing his story with me and with us, the Everesting community. Um, I hope that you can all check out uh, his pages and potentially support his cause. It's uh, incredible what he's doing and endeavoring to do um, and what he's overcoming. Hope that you enjoyed that conversation just as much as I did. Thank you, everybody, for tuning in. We really appreciate that. As always, if you are able to give us a positive rating or review or subscribe to the podcast wherever you find the show, that helps us find new listeners. So thank you for doing that, and we'll be back next week.